And I would love to see um, more leaders. It's just that some people step up and I, I think that we need way more leaders. We need a lot more people who are willing to step up, who are willing to better themselves for the purpose of making the world a better place. And don't wait for anybody to give you permission to do it. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is brought to you by FitBod, the number one fitness app out there. It's the app that I personally use in my home uh, gym little room that I got going on. I basically have a power cage is what it's called. And on there, I can set a barbell. I could do squats, bench. I can take the barbell, put it on the ground, do some deadlift. And basically, I have all the large muscle exercises that I can do, as well as push press, too. Push press is a good one. But anyhow, I use FitBod to keep me going. I track all my fitness progress with it. I'm trying to build more muscle these days. I'm riding less on the bike, especially now living in a place where there's more winter. More winter. That didn't even make sense. There's actual winter with snow. <laughs> like legit winter, uh, unlike Florida, where I used to live and rode my bike all year round. FitBot is great because it generates a custom workout for you. You put in all sorts of things. You put in the gym equipment that's available to you. So for me, it's the barbell, chin-up bar that comes with the power cage, as well as dumbbells. You put the type of workouts you want to do. If you want to do body weight only, or if you want to do actual weights, I do the actual weights, then you can put in fitness goals. So you could do strength training, bodybuilding, muscle tone, general fitness, powerlifting, and if you're a pro, I mean, you could do Olympic weightlifting. And it's got circuits, it's got supersets you could do, cardio recommendations it can give you, warm-up, cool-downs, you tell it the workout duration that you want, training splits, if you want to do push-pull, lower split, upper body, lower body, if you want to do full body, or if you just want to work muscles that are fresh, you can do that. And that's the cool thing about FitBot is it does take into consideration the muscles that you use the day before to give you a workout based off that. So if you just did legs yesterday and your legs are pretty tired, it's going to generate most likely an upper body workout for you. Another thing is you can tell it to exclude exercises. So if you really just for some reason can't do certain exercises, like let's say you can't do squats, for example, you had an injury or something prevents you from doing it. You can put that in there. That way, it's not giving you a bunch of squat workouts for you to do. So just all around, great fitness app. I highly recommend you get it. And you can link it up to your Apple Health, whatever Android has its health app. I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm just such an Apple person, I know. <laughs> I'm not even going to open that can of worms. But um, yeah, you can connect it to your health apps. You can connect it to your Strava if you have it. But if you guys want to check out FitBod, just go to fitbod.me slash Bananiac. So F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C. Not only will you receive a free trial, but a discount when you decide to sign up. And by downloading FitBod, using it to improve your fitness, your strength, you are actually supporting this podcast. And I thank you for that. Other ways you can help support this podcast is going to bananiac.com, using the Amazon banner to make all your Amazon purchases at no extra cost to you, downloading Audible and listening to your favorite audiobooks, as well as checking out any of the resources I have on the site. Everything I do is completely on my own, investing in my equipment, investing in my travel to go and meet with some of these fantastic guests. And of course, my time, which I love contributing to this podcast, all of that is supported by you guys. And at the very least, if you guys can take five seconds out of your day, go to Apple Podcasts and give This Is Bananas a five-star rating. It would mean the world to me. It would get this podcast in front of more eyeballs and ears. And that's ultimately what I want to do with this. I want to get this message out there. I want to get what these fantastic people are sharing with me. And you. I want more people to listen to that because there's something here. Whether we're talking about health, fitness, whether we're talking about activism, creativity, I want everyone to know about it. And today's guest is Eva Hammer. She is the legal coordinator as well as a protest musician for DXC, that's Direct Action Everywhere. They are an animal liberation organization based in California, and they do a lot of animal rescues where these activists go inside farms or lab facilities 
and actually rescue animals. And it's very inspiring. And Eva is going to talk about more of that later on. She also will talk about some of the legal cases that the organization is facing for the work that they're doing. But I wanted to have Eva on because even though there are legal issues with what is going on with the organization, the work that they're doing, at the end of the day, they're saving lives. You can't deny that. And these animals would be sentenced to death otherwise or suffering. And I'm just, I'm really moved with what they're doing. And while we don't really talk about the health benefits or fitness or any of the other stuff we normally talk about, plant-based diet and what that is associated with we really just focused on the animals which is what veganism is really all about so if you really follow my youtube channel my podcast and the work that i do just for the nutrition and the fitness i still encourage you to listen to this episode stick around and just hear some of these fantastic stories of these animals being rescued and just kind of put everything into perspective. This is a very chill conversation. And if you are still using animal products, maybe that you consider some of these things that we are going to talk about today. So without further ado, here is Eva. All right, Eva, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. How's your night going? Going pretty well. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, uh, for the people that don't know maybe who you are, I was wondering if you could give a little bit about your background, like where you came from and uh, what it is that you do. Sure. So I'm a legal coordinator with DXE, with Direct Action Everywhere, which is a grass rights, animal rights network. And I've been doing that for oh about a year, but I've been involved in, in DXE for uh, more like five. And I've been vegan for a really long time and um, got involved in, with activism Um about a, a decade after I went vegan. And so right now I manage legal cases for, for the network. So we have a good handful of criminal cases and uh, also a handful of civil cases. And we manage um, making sure that everybody has, has lawyers and that the kind of details of all those legal cases are communicated really well to the network and to the, the media. Yeah, sounds very stressful, but I'm sure it's a super important job and very important for the organization as well. Um, DXC. So let's talk a little bit about DXC, uh, direct action, uh, everywhere. If you can tell me a, a little bit about what you guys do and how you're different, I guess, from other vegan organizations, like for example, everyone knows who PETA is. Um, tell me a little bit about how you guys are different. So I think that when DXC first started, their goal was really to, to influence not only the world, but the, the movement itself. And DXC has, has done a lot to really de-emphasize veganism in the context of the animal rights movement. And that's not to say that, you know, we aren't vegan ourselves or that we want anyone to ever use animal products. But it's to say that the word vegan has caused a lot of problems for the animal rights movement. It's, it's done something to really emphasize, in our view, um, humans and what humans do and what individual consumers do. And when we see veganism used as this kind of purity um, tactic, this this way to kind of figure out who's in and who's out. We see the animal rights movement honestly shoot itself in the foot because veganism is this, this word that really doesn't have a, a great definition. I mean, people kind of, they spend a lot of time arguing about what it means online. And we would say that those conversations could better be used to talk about animals and what animals are going through. Absolutely. I mean, I... I can't tell you how proud I am to be vegan. Uh, like, I, I love that. But um, I 100% agree. I hate the fact that it can sometimes seem more of like a club and people feel excluded uh, when you bring it up in that sort of sense. So I love what you guys are doing. You're really focusing on the animals and what, it, you know, what your work is really about rather than just making it seem like an, it's an exclusive type of group. Uh, you're either in or out. So, uh, yeah, I, um, much of the work, uh, that you guys do, I believe you would consider, uh, animal liberation and, um, you know, uh, if you could tell me, first of all, if you kind of explain, uh, what that means and also what, what direct action means that way people can get a sense of the type of work that you guys do. Sure. So, uh, big questions. What is animal liberation? What is direct action? Um, direct action is one of the steps in, uh, Kenyan nonviolence. So when we we're really based on nonviolence, and and a lot of us have studied um, what what King taught, and he 
said that direct action is the one optional step. When we're using a, a campaign for social change, direct action is the step that happens when your adversaries refuse to negotiate with you and you have to take direct action. And what we know is that for decades, the you know vegans and the animal rights movement have, have really been, if mentioned at all by the media, have been like a laughingstock. And direct action seeks to kind of elevate the conversation so that the animal liberation movement are actual adversaries to the people who we consider our opponents to the industry and, and to the government that protects them. So direct action is um, kind of in a, a more uh, granular scale. It's, it's all the tactics that animal rights activists or any activists might use to really get the attention, to force the issue, to, to force their adversaries to, to come to the table and negotiate. And so that might look like protests um, it might look like like rescues that happen without the permission of of the people who have animals in their custody. Um, that might look like civil disobedience, like roadblocks, like like uh, chaining ourselves to the gates of a slaughterhouse. And we honestly we use the the phrase direct action as as pretty widely. So sometimes it just means going into a grocery store and, and protesting. Right, right. And uh, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned um, open rescues. I uh, I love the fact like I. I've seen a, a lot of videos with direct action everywhere online uh, on YouTube. I always get goosebumps when you guys are able to successfully rescue animals from their death, essentially from slaughterhouses. They're literally like I remember watching this video. There are ducks literally on um, what appears to be like hooks and they're hooked on by their feet. And they're literally seconds away from having their throats sliced. You know, I'm sorry for being little graphic here but it is what it is and you guys are are able to to get like those animals and i always get goosebumps like it always it's amazing so if you can talk a little bit about um open rescue what what goes into that how you guys do that um and uh also what ends up happening to the animals right after you guys rescue them sure so open rescue is a is a tactic that is is used when um you know there are places where we know that animals are being abused so somebody's done some some research, figured out an actual you know farm or slaughterhouse or sometimes even research facility, um, a place where animals are being abused and, and we know about it, and we'll send activists in to to these places. Um, they'll we'll go in with cameras and uh, kind of biosecurity gear to make sure that if we do enter, we we don't bring any pathogens in with us, and we'll really document the conditions in, in these places because you know there have been many many investigations of, of factory farms before DXE, of course, and there have even been open rescues before DXE. But um, one thing that we've really tried to do is is to emphasize the humane myth and really sh draw attention to the fact that, you know, when you do you do AV or something, you go talk to people and try to convince them to go vegan so much, many of the times you'll hear, oh, well, I only eat humane meat. I only, I, I know, I know where I get my milk, um, whatever it is. They, they think that they do it the right way. And a lot of people think that they're doing it the right way. That Oh, yeah, there are those factory farms that I know about, but that's not what I do. And so we'll actually target those places. We'll target those those exact farms where they're saying that they're doing it the right way, that they're using imagery like like humane or thoughtfully raised or um, something to, to really let you know that, that this is the right kind of meat. This is the right kind of animal exploitation. And we'll send activists into those places to document the conditions. And more often than not, we'll, I mean, basically always we come across someone who's in real medical distress, someone who wouldn't survive if we don't take them out. And in those contexts, we'll, we'll rescue the animals and we'll do it really openly because it's really important to us that we're not acting like criminals because we, you know, believe that our actions are, are justified morally and sometimes even legally. And when that happens, we um, really want to tell those stories openly and tell the world that like, this is something that a reasonable person would do. This is something anyone would do when you come across an animal in need and you have the capacity to take them out, then you take them out. So after we take out animals, we would um, generally bring them to the vet. I mean, always bring them to the vet pretty much immediately as, as soon as possible, because these are animals in really significant medical distress. And we try to get them um, medical attention as, as quickly as possible. And then we have um, a lot of contacts with, with sanctuaries, with places that can take them. Sometimes activists will take care of the animals themselves. I myself lived with a dog um, who I rescued from a, a breeding and, and testing facility in Wisconsin. 
lived with her for, I, I was able to foster her for a while after we rescued her before she went to her forever home. Tell me that story. Yeah. So how, how did that end up happening? So Richland Farms in Wisconsin is this giant, um, they, they, I think it's like 4,000 beagles per year, giant beagle farm in Wisconsin. And they supply dogs to all sorts of testing facilities, including the whole University of California system. And we, we found out about them and were able to, um, in our investigation, were able to watch the, the place a little bit. And there was actually just a door open in farms. Um, you often find open doors. That's really, really common in, in factory farms. It would be so expensive for farmers to lock every single one of their doors and unlock it every time they needed to use it. Um, so they're generally just unlocked. Is that because it's a such a huge facility? And yeah, we're talking about really, really huge facilities with like hundreds of thousands of animals on them often. And you know, a beagle facility is a little bit different. It's it's run um, has fewer animals for for one, though they're held in basically the same confinement as as your average factory farm. And the um, the animals are much more expensive per animal. You know, a, a chicken who is halfway through her lifespan. Who's, who's laying eggs is worth nothing to industry, but a, a beagle could sell for thousands of dollars. And so they do keep their doors locked. And what would they be used for the beagles? Beagles are used for all sorts of different testing. They're used for um, cosmetics testing, for uh, testing things like laundry detergents or uh, household cleaners. There, there are all these tests that um, for some reason it's really interesting for scientists to find out what percent or how much of a substance it takes to kill 50% of a population. And so that's just a really common kind of routine test that you'll do when you're testing on animals is just how many, you know, um, how much of this substance does it take to kill 50 beagles, say. So they're doing things like um, force feeding and, and injecting chemicals into the blood. Um, some medical tests, they're, they're used for a lot of different purposes. And, um, we were lucky enough to see kind of an open door. And so some of our activists were able to go in and investigate. We have a 360 degree video that we, we put out of this um, beagle farm. So you can actually see it for yourself. You can go in there and and have kind of virtual reality um, gear on and, and really be immersed in the whole thing. And it's a it's a really horrifying experience. The thing that was really unusual about the beagle farm is just the sound of it. You know, beagles are really known to howl. And when there's so many of them in one place. The sound is just ghastly. It's really a haunting experience. Yeah, my friend used to have a beagle and they're lovely dogs, you know, sweethearts. And I have two dogs. Most people have dogs. And to listen to a story like that, most people will be horrified. You know, nobody would right. want that, want their animals to go through that. And uh, that's crazy. So you, so you ended up going into this uh, a facility, you saw an open door and you found your opportunity and just you you grab your dog and, and and ran. Yeah, the activists who went inside they they took they took video and there were um, I think a couple different there were a couple different entries and at one point um, an alarm was going off which they couldn't even hear because they were so far from from the um, from the alarm and the beagles are so loud and once they got word that there was an alarm going off they were able to literally just grab a dog and and run out of the place um, which you can experience this on the. 360 video, but it, it is really heartbreaking about beagles because beagles are, are the individuals who are bred to be calm and kind and loving. And that's the reason they're used in testing is because you can abuse them and abuse them and they'll still, they still love humans after all of that. That should say something right yeah. there. You know, the fact that you can, you do so much to them and they'll still love you. Right. Like that yeah. says something. Um, it's, it's really amazing resilience that these dogs are, are are social that they'll make friends with humans that they'll imprint on humans even now after years and years of, of abuse wow. yeah you're seriously you're a champion for doing that that's awesome um so my, my next question after hearing a story like that uh and for, forgive me if if i'm ignorant but um how is something like this legal or is it legal and how essentially do you guys get away with something like that so that's where my role comes in. For years and years, we were doing these open rescues, doing them openly, saying our names, showing our faces, saying, telling, openly telling the stories of the animals we rescued. And there were no charges. Um, no DA was taking interest in, in prosecuting us at all. 
um, even though we were being totally open, we were even writing to the companies like they knew about us. Um, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, multiple prosecutions, felony prosecutions came down all at once. So we're facing charges in um, in Utah in two different two different counties. One of them involved an FBI investigation. Um, two different counties in North Carolina were facing federal char- or sorry um, felony charges. And also, um, we have six felony defendants in Sonoma County here in California, where I am, who are facing felonies. Um, we also had a couple of activists get hit with a huge restitution bill. Um, so they're they're appealing it, but they're right now they're facing hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution after one of their rescues. And so it was a huge um, just burst of repression all at once because, you know, the old saying, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Um, we're kind of we're moving through that, and all of a sudden it became very appear, uh, um, apparent to industry and to government that we were a real threat, and so now we're facing a lot of prosecutions. Now none of these have gone to trial yet, um, and when we argue that these things are illegal, which we do, we say that um, there's a legal doctrine of necessity, which is kind of the same one. Like if you were to be charged with trespass after you rescue someone from a burning building, um, say you you entered. Um, private property where you weren't welcome, you passed a no trespassing sign to get in, but there was something terrible happening inside. There was someone burning to death and you rescued them. You would have a, an affirmative defense in court. You would be able to say, yes, I did the thing you're accusing me of doing, but it's legal because of necessity. And that's basically the principle that we are planning to use when we go into places where animals are being abused, where animals are being denied food and water because um, often they can't move themselves to food and water. Um Downed animals is super common in every type of, of species that I know about. And so we'll argue that, you know, this is the, the lesser of two evils, that the trespass is not um, worse than the animal cruelty. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that from a monetary standpoint, these are essentially products of the farmer or the lab or what whatever it is. Um, I do remember when... Uh, like hurricanes would hit and like North Carolina or whatever, South Carolina would flood. There'd be activists there rescuing, you know, pigs, chickens, cows, uh, if they can. Um, so I assume, you know, in a situation like that, it would be perfectly fine. But I do remember watching a video, I think maybe Vice covered it too, where a big group, maybe 50 of you or a hundred of you went into this chicken farm and uh, would, would, uh, would grab chickens and you all had a, a letter um, showing it to the farmer, we have the legal right to be here, and you essentially took the chickens, and they could do nothing. How, can you do you know the event that I'm talking about, or maybe there's other ones similar? Can you talk about that? Like how how can you guys? Yeah, yeah. How, how did so, you do that? There are three different cases, three three different um, mass arrests that we've had in, in Sonoma County, California, and it sounds like you're talking about the first one, which was Sunrise Farms, which is in May of 2018, and. In that case, we brought um, about 50 activists right onto the farm, right into the into the barns, take and, and we picked up um, animals who who couldn't walk, who were sick, and we brought them out. And um, I, I was I was there. I, I had a bird in my arms, and I um, I was invited to to walk up to the sheriff who was there and trying to tell us to leave, tell, telling us we couldn't bring these animals out, and. Um, we just we we showed you know we showed the sheriff both the letter the we had a legal opinion with us saying that you know this is legal um, because the this, this law scholar um, Hadar Avriam at um, UC Hastings in San Francisco she reviewed both the footage of, of the farm and some legal doctrines and one really great benefit that we have here in California is um, a law called Penal Code um, California Penal Code 597E and that's this law under the animal cruelty code that says that if an animal has been without food and water for more than 12 hours, then it's okay for any citizen to just go in and take them out. And with the, with these two ideas, necessity defense and with 597E, we had a legal opinion saying that this is, it's legal for us to, to go in and, and take animals out. Um, the police weren't really sure about this. They weren't all that convinced, but they were pretty confused and, and they just, um, they let us go. A lot of us had actually planned to be arrested that day, and when they just let us go, um, we were a little confused ourselves. We we let the we sent the animals to to the vet and to the sanctuary, and there are 37 survivors of of that day. And then um, we we walked right back on the farm to 
you know, rescue more animals if they would let us, but we didn't think they would. So they arrested 40 of us um, that day. We then we went back to Sonoma County because we um, wanted to to show that this really is, you know, a legal right of, of animals to be rescued and legal right of us to rescue them. And the next time we went back, um, they were a little less forgiving. They they were much more um, quick to 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 detain and, and arrest um, 58 people that day. And we had animals in our arms. We had chickens who were um, who were sick again. This was a, a an egg farm I just described, but a farm where birds were used for meat um, at McCoy Poultry in Sonoma County. And we, we had birds in our arms and it was one of the most tragic days of my life because they, they tore the animals out of our arms. Um, the, they brought animal control and took, took birds out of our arms and they did do veterinary examinations on them and then they killed them. And what's, you know, it's, it's a tragedy and it's horrible, but there is a veterinary record that exists for how, um, just horrific the treatment was of these animals before they died that they had been denied food and water for so long that they had had these diseases that were completely untreated because individualized care in a factory farm environment is just not something that happens. And one beautiful thing that happened that day was that there was one bird who got let go. There was one police officer who had just enough compassion for the animals. And she said that we could take the sickest one out. And um, that bird we named Rose. And she survived for just about a year after her rescue, just just over a year. Um, and she was really, you know, she was disfigured. She couldn't really walk, but she got to live on a sanctuary for the rest of her life. And that was that was for most of her life. Um, birds are slaughtered when they're they're so young. Um, so she was one of the the few of her family, one of the only of her family who was able to really live into adulthood. I think I remember that event where the chickens were torn out. Um... Right, right from you guys' hands. Um, that's really sad. But uh, what was I going to say? Um, these are uh, these living conditions uh, that you all have um, essentially proof. Uh, how do you prove that? Do you have investigators going beforehand and and take video and photographs to kind of have proof? And now you know you say, hey, look, we have proof, and now we're here to to help. Right. In this case, we had um, whistleblower footage from twelve hours prior. Um, cause we, you know, we knew about the law and we knew that if we, we knew that for 12 hours, these same animals were being denied food and water that we had the right to go in and assist them. And so we, we had footage from, from 12 hours prior, but also from, from before that. And we, we had quite a bit of, of footage from these facilities before we went to them. And, um, what we plan to argue in court is, is that this is, this is perfectly legal, but. We did, after the September um, 2018 investigation, um, mass rescue or mass attempted rescue when animals were taken out of our arms, we were hit with um, seven felony charges for six different activists who were perceived to be in, in leadership. And they are, these, these cases are continuing to this day. Um, system moves very slowly, but we're really excited about these cases and we really think it's going to be a great opportunity to have the argument in a public setting because it's, you know, once we can get the issue on, on the table, then it's our argument to win. So you're essentially on the same level as murderers, rapists, terrorists, a felony for, for rescuing animals. Right. Yeah. Um, and other, there are different classes of, of felonies, but there was, um, in North Carolina, our felonies are on the same plane as, uh, I saw assault by strangulation. Um, assault by stra strangulation in North Carolina is a class H felony, as is the the larceny charge that our, our folks are facing there. So it is pretty ridiculous to to think of people who rescue animals who um, are you know have never really never committed a crime in their life, who are not dangerous people to be around, um, as facing the same kind of prison time as as people who are really violent. Right, I can't believe that. So. So yes, uh, what we what we just talked about, you know, you would say most of that is is factory farms. But I want to talk about what you mentioned before about humane meat. Like, uh, you know, Chipotle is pretty proud of how they raise their animals. Whole Foods is another brand that that comes to mind. Um, so you know, there's this term that's uh, humane meat. Uh, you know, raised with um, care, or you know, whatever. Like all all these terms that that circulate the system. 
Uh, talk a little bit about that and what you guys have experienced. You know, how humane are these animals really being raised? Sure. So all the farms that I've mentioned so far, the um, I guess with the exception of the, I mean, the dog farm certainly, certainly has its own humane messaging around it. But leaving that one aside, um, all the farms I've talked about uh, the, in, in Sonoma County, they have humane messaging. Um, Sunrise, where we, we rescue 37 hens, um, that is a Whole Foods supplier. Um, McCoy is an Amazon supplier that's free range. These are places where if you saw the package in the grocery store, you might think that this is the good kind, that this is this is the, the stuff that where the animal didn't suffer. Um, and it's false because when we go to places that are um, called humane, we see factory farms. And we know that these are, I mean, there can be differences. You know, there are cages and there are no cages. And it's hard to say which one you would rather be if you're going to be at an egg layer in one of those settings because, um, you know, cages are intense confinement and a terrible way to live. And no cages is often cannibalism, is often birds so close together that they, they lash out and they literally eat each other alive, just out of stress. And this is not something that happens, you know, naturally, not something that ever happens in sanctuaries, but it's something that happens so routinely um, in factory farms. And this is something we've gotten straight out of farmers' mouths in, in court saying that, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they die because they peck each other. That's just a normal part of business. It almost looks like an inauguration speech inside of like a tiny warehouse. It's like so stuffed and you would say that's considered technically free range. Right. It's um, it's it's ridiculous kind of what the, the reality versus the marketing is. And so right now we're involved in three different civil cases. Um, and the first one is against um, Diesel Turkey Ranch, which is a Whole Foods supplier and is, I think, the first um, Gap 5 plus turkey ranch to, to be certified because it has this beautiful facility um, in Sonora, California, which supplies, I think, 1% of the birds that the, the company sells and 99% of the marketing that they do is, is on this, this beautiful picturesque ranch. That, um, and, then, and then they have also tons and tons of factory farms where they have other birds who also have the same marketing on them and marketing about them. And we're suing them for false advertising. The trial just ended and we're hoping a decision um, from the judge within the next few months. And so that's exciting. And on the other front, we're being sued by Whole Foods and by Costco for protesting them, for, for going to their stores and telling the world about how they're lying to the public about how animals are being treated. So we're seeing kind of a, a backlash both from government through these criminal tra uh, charges and from industry who's just you know sick of us telling the truth to their customers. And they would really like to um, silence us and they'd really like us to agree to not not protest not tell the public what's going on in their barns and so we're we're seeing um a lot of places that are saying that they have humane practices who are acting quite defensively when we point out that they don't yeah yeah so i'm, I'm super glad that you guys are shining a light on that because a lot of people are confused you know thinking that they're doing a good thing by supporting Chipotle, Whole Foods, Costco, like you mentioned, thinking they're doing good, where in reality, it still leads to the same results as if you were to go through the McDonald's drive-through, essentially. Um, I want to ask you, though, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on, like, you know, you know, vegans who are trying to, to do their best and go to Chipotle and have, a, like, a Sofrita bowl, or go to Whole Foods and, and, you know, they buy their produce from there, or Costco, they'll get, like, Beyond Meat or whatever, like... Um, they're, you know, supporting vegan food essentially, but from non-vegan restaurants or chains. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I mean, we, we do it too. We, we all, um, everyone who I know in DXE is, eats, um, eats vegan. Some people kind of reject the term veganism, but they, but, uh, you know, I don't know anyone who would eat animals. Um, and when we go, um, when we start out in veganism, or at least when I started out as a vegan, I would I really thought of it as kind of this consumer boycott. Um, and as I thought more, I, I kind of decided that it, it wasn't really a consumer boycott because I'm really just one person. And to have an effective boycott, you really need a lot of people, um, which even as a as all vegans, we aren't a very effective boycott. You know, they're not really noticing that we're not that vegans aren't buying their um, animal products. And so I started thinking of it more as kind of a, a way to influence the people around you, the way to normalize or denormalize um, eating animals. And so I absolutely um, 
will sometimes like go to I so so when we talk about boycott um and we have a dispute with Whole Foods we're not boycotting Whole Foods like I sometimes shop there and a lot of people who are involved in my organization sometimes shop there um same with same with Costco same with any of the the companies where we're um we're targeting them it's not that we expect that our consumer dollars are going to make a difference on them some people they kind of they feel a little um irked you know they feel a personal kind of conflict with a, with a store and they don't feel good going in, in there. And that's fine. And there's nothing, you know, we don't have to go to Chipotle or we don't have to go to Whole Foods, but I don't know. They have some good vegan options and we might as well, if we're trying to get something to eat and we've decided not to ever eat animal products. Um, I think that the decision to not eat animal products is something that um, can really influence the people around us. People start to think of animal products as something that might be a little bit controversial, which is brand new that anyone would think that eating animals is something that could offend anyone. And in addition to that, we um, a lot of people take the liberation pledge, and we just we make this public commitment to not eat animals, not eat animal products, and to not sit at tables where other people are doing the same, or doing doing that eating animals. And that, on top of veganism, can be extraordinarily powerful because that is when we start to have real conversations with people around us to say that like, hey, I'm really not comfortable when there are dead animals on the table, and it it sets veganism as the norm in a in a way that sometimes having our own special diet doesn't. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you shared that clarity with me. I appreciate it because I, I'm, I'm the same way too. If I'm traveling, you know, I'll have a Chipotle or shop at Whole Foods, that sort of thing. But I feel the exact same way. I think it's not really going after these businesses where that might be a common misconception for maybe past buyers. Um, may think, you know, what you guys are doing uh, or, or many other activists uh, is that you're against these companies, but what you're against is really some of the, um, the, the the services and products, you know, air quotes there, uh, that they they sell to people. And they, you know, you just want them to have better practices. And that is, you know, offering more um, plant-based foods. Uh, and, you know, passively, I would say too, it's, it's also voting with your dollar, you know, it's supply and demand. And if more people are demanding these vegan products, plant-based foods from, from these organizations, you know, companies, they'll look at that. They'll see, you know, Hey, you know, our Sofritos are doing really great. Let's invest more in that and, and start pushing that more. For sure. And we've definitely seen that all over the place, you know, seen more companies interested in plant-based versions of things. Um, and, and that's great. Um, and I think that people being more skeptical of animal products has certainly done that. Um, and at the same time, our ask to these companies is never to add, to add more vegan options because, again, we really want to, to decenter humans in this conversation. We really want to talk about what animals are going through. And what I would love to see from Whole Foods is for them to stop selling animal products and to stop lying about animal products. Um, they say that, they're, that animals are treated well. They say that they have this animal welfare um, promise that, that they're, they're promising that all of their um, – Animals have been certified by the, the GAP program, the Global Animal Par Partnership, and and so that means that they're treated well, and that's that's a lie. And so that's our ask to the companies is that they stop lying about the way animals are treated and that they um, ultimately stop hurting them. Exactly, and and it's not impossible. I mean, we've seen it with uh, the company Elmhurst. Uh, you're aware of Elmhurst, right? They um, it, it, it was a big dairy company. They were founded, I believe, in 1925. And uh, only until a couple of years ago, they started releasing plant-based milks completely. So they shift from dairy to releasing just plant-based milks, which is amazing. That's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. And there's another uh, dairy company, which I think also was founded in 1925. And oddly enough, they filed for bankruptcy in uh, 2019 of last year. So, you know, it just goes to show, yeah, if you don't change your ways, in a way, you know, supply and demand, there are more people demanding vegan options. And I know, like, we want people to, to stop, you know, producing animal products completely. And I think Elmhurst is a great example of that. So, um, it, it, you know, it's not impossible. Obviously, there's, there's uh, results there. Um, but I want to go back to, uh, to um, uh, you know, uh, some of the consequences that um, activists face, you know, whether it, whether it's it's going into um, these establishments or whether it's going into uh, labs or or uh, animal uh, factory farms, uh, what are some of the consequences that that you've seen uh, 
you know, some of your activists face? Well, um, like I mentioned before, none of our cases have actually gone to trial yet. So when we talk about real sentences, when we talk about actually spending time in prison, um, our organization hasn't been there yet, and we fully expect to. We have had activists go to jail. I myself have, have been to been to jail after being arrested and declining bail, and that's um, that's no fun. And that's just for a few days. That's still no fun at all. It's uh, really not a good place to be. It's a place where you're really there to to be punished. Um, it's a place where you're treated like you don't matter and you're not really given any autonomy at all, of course. And um, it's not something that I would wish upon anyone. And our activists are willing to, to do it. You know, we're taking these risks and we're, we're understanding that those are the consequences that might fa- we might face. And that could be for a few days. That could be for years. Um, and we have a lot of people who have who've gone right inside of places where animals are, are being abused, kind of knowing, fully knowing that it could mean years in prison. And no, and also we really believe that sacrifices have to be made and that um, we need to we need to have people who are willing to make really meaningful sacrifices because that's kind of um, a really important way to show the importance of this cause that it's not just a hobby. It's something that is an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, what about like uh, some of the confrontations that you've noticed um, from the establishments themselves and, and some of like maybe the farmers and, and the workers? How, do people generally get aggressive with you guys? Um, I'm just kind of curious what that experience is like. Sure. We've, we've definitely seen violence um, both in our protests from people, not from our activists, from, from other people have become violent with our activists in protests and in, in rescues. Um there was a situation, I believe there's a situation where um, activists were threatened with a gun after doing um, frontline surveillance, this completely legal form of, of observation of farms going to you know, public property and watching using cameras and drones, maybe. And we've seen people be um, be shoved, be knocked down. Um, honestly, I, I think we're going to see much more violence than we've seen already because just because of the, the way the backlash is escalating in every direction. I was just going to say, do you think they're in uh, farmers, for example, do you think they anticipate it more now? For sure. They definitely anticipate it more. Um, we know that the industry groups are talking about us. We hear them talking about us. We see their posts. There are even trainings that they run sometimes to teach farmers how to deal with activists. Um, and luckily, they know that violence doesn't make them look very good. When you when you're actually violent towards someone, you look like the bad guy, and we know that too. And so, hopefully, that message is understood by all parties, and that we can have a completely nonviolent revolution around this. Um, and we also understand that there's a risk of violence when we go into places. And and um, I mean, I think the closest that we've come to to real real sacrifice in in this way is at that duck farm that you you mentioned at the beginning of the call. There was um, there were there were ducks who were who were um, on the slaughter line, still alive on the slaughter line, not yet hurt. And our activists took them, took them down and brought them to safety and then locked their own bodies to the slaughter line. And this is a, a really you know, symbolic way to, to put ourselves in between the, the violence that's happening and, and the people who are doing it. And because you know, we're lucky enough to be born human, to be born people who are worth more to society than the animals. And so while you won't face murder charges for um, hurting an animal, you will for hurting one of us. And so our activists chained themselves to the slaughter line, and then one of the employees turned on the slaughter line, and this um, strangled one of one of the activists. This this he was uh, purple in the face. It hurt him really badly. He is um, a massage therapist, and he wasn't able to work for for months. And um, I mean, luckily he survived, but it it certainly could have gone a different way. And that was something that our activists were. Um, aware of going into it. Yeah, that was definitely one of the more intense videos that I've seen because he was so close. He was he was what I would say inches away from death uh, and almost looked like he was suffocating, which which is crazy. Um, So, yeah, I'd imagine you guys have seen probably a few of those situations. Um, But you know what? I, I even think it's it's odd, though, that like a very simple like protest at Whole Foods uh, we get Wayne uh, Chung uh, from, uh, he's the founder of, of DXC. We get him arrested simply for just going in. He Actually, he didn't even protest, if I remember correctly. Didn't he just ask a simple question? He did, yeah. He, he asked a question. He um, So this is a Colorado Whole Foods. 
uh, year, uh, last couple years ago, I think. And he he asked he asked a question. He wanted to know um, where the farms are. And he was you know he was told to leave, but then like there was another employee who was who was kind of interested in talking to him, and so he he stayed to talk to this employee. And then he was told to leave by somebody else. It was very confusing, kind of who was in charge and what the direction actually was. And then the um, then he left, and then the police came and arrested him. And really interesting thing about this is that he um, had no intention of taking any kind of like deal. Uh, most criminal cases end in some kind of deal. So somebody pleads guilty to something or or uh, accepts some kind of terms so that the charges go away. And he had no interest in doing that. Even though it was a very minor charge, it was like trespass. It was one misdemeanor. And he declined a, a deal that he got offered. And so then they offered him a better deal and then declined that one. And then it was something like the day before, two days before trial. He, they just completely dropped it because they had no intention of arguing this case. Whole Foods wasn't actually going to show up to court. They just wanted to punish him. They just wanted to tell him that he better not be asking any more questions. And um, ultimately, kind of by standing his ground, the whole thing went away and they weren't actually interested in having that conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought that was nuts that you can't even go and ask simply a question about how your food is, is being made. I think uh, anytime a, a company denies you that or threatens to punish you for that, I, I think that should say something in itself. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about Wayne, what what he is up to these days, uh, and if he's still active uh, with, with his activism? Yep. Um, Wayne is still active, still very active. Um, he was in, he was the lead organizer of Direct Action Everywhere up until about September. And then he, he stepped down to kind of be able to focus more on his charges, on his, his upcoming cases. And he is being sued in three different cases right now. So those are three different civil cases where he is being personally sued. And then he also has um, something like 16 felony pending felony charges. Um, don't quote me on on that number, but it's a lot. So he's he has a bunch of trials coming up this year, um, which he's he's getting ready for. He has um, some civil cases that that he's working on, and he is. Um, Likely, you know, likely we're going to hear some really big news from him in, in coming uh, coming weeks. Not at liberty to share quite yet, but um, he's definitely a very busy person and, and doing some really exciting things, um, including going going to trial and really putting him his own future on the line to, to have these conversations in a public venue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wish him the best of luck. I wish all you guys the best of luck. Um with, with, with the work that you're doing and, and um, you know, all the, all the cases that you have, um, you know, going. Uh, but I want to I wanna kind of ask you this last question uh, with, with activists, for activists around the world. Um, you know, what, what advice would you have to give them to, to kind of keep them legally safe and also successful with their activism to, to, at the end of the day, be able to rescue animals just like you guys do? Um, well, you know, legally safe is, is always a conversation to have with a lawyer. It's great to have friends who can tell you, can give you legal advice. Um, it's good to have, if you're going to do anything legally risky, it's really important to have the name of a, of a good defense lawyer on hand just in case something goes wrong. And also to kind of have someone to let you know what, what your rights are in your particular area um, where you live in the world. And just in terms of, of general advice, I think that it is um, – I think that our movement is really in need of a lot more, um, a lot more thought leadership. I would love to see more people kind of really doing a lot of research on their own and reading about how other social movements have been successful and really figuring out what that means for where they are in the world. Maybe that means that they, they need to go to the uh, nearest major city and work there. And maybe it means that they, they need to improve their own skills more so that they can be a more useful um advocate for the movement. Um, maybe it means that they can come up with new ideas about how um, climate justice and animal rights can intersect and those two movements can can kind of harness their power to, to do greater work together. Um, I think that a lot of a lot of people are um, trying to put activism in their lives in a way that is sustainable and that's really important. And so maybe that means that they're just going out on, on weekends and doing a, a cube or doing a vigil or doing a protest or something like that. And I would love to see um, more leaders because there's nothing that is more there's nothing that I'm qualified to do or that any anyone really in DXC is like particularly qualified to do. And that's the reason they're doing it. It's just that some people step up 
And I, I think that we need way more leaders. We need a lot more people who are willing to step up, who are willing to better themselves for the purpose of making the world a better place. And don't wait for anybody to give you permission to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if people want to learn more about DXC, what you guys do, where can people uh, go and do that? Um, you can go to our website. That's directactioneverywhere.com. You can go to our Facebook page. We're super active on Facebook. That's just Direct Action Everywhere, type in DXC. Um, you can, yeah, those are those are main main ways. And you can also just Google Direct Action Everywhere and, and look at a lot of the work that the media has done about the work that we're doing. Awesome stuff. Well, Eva, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I want to thank you guys again, all of you guys at DXC for the awesome work that you guys do. Uh, keep keep it up and uh, keep speaking up for the voiceless. Thank you so much. It was a really a pleasure talking to you. And then just one more plug, righttorescue.com has information about our legal cases and also a petition that we would love it if folks would sign. Awesome. And I'll have all that in the link, uh, the links, everything I'll have in the description below. So uh, you guys can check it out. All right, Eva, thank you so much. Hey, thank you and, so much. Uh, have a good night. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of This Is Bananas. To learn more about this episode, check out the show notes over at bananiac.com. That's B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C.com. If you're looking for easy and nutritious plant-based recipes to make at home, you can download my ebook, Bananiac Simple Vegan Recipes, from my website as well. It includes 25 of my favorite whole food plant-based recipes that I make and eat every day and will hopefully help you eat more whole plant-based meals as well. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate it wherever you're listening to it. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from it. Leave a comment with your thoughts and subscribe to This Is Bananas as well as my YouTube channel Bananiac, which you can find at youtube.com slash Bananiac. This helps me become more discoverable and ultimately reach more people with my work. If you'd like to donate, please visit patreon.com slash Bananiac. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and supporting the one man band that I am. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourself spread the word and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.